Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us, and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet, from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Hello and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and helping you, our listeners, to knowing and being and impacting the world around us. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. We are live on Block Talk Radio chat room is open so you can get in there if you'd like to um follow us on social media go to the go to the facebook page the zero network on facebook go there like that page follow that page listen to archived shows on that page and we appreciate it. also hit us up on twitter zero radio at zero radio is the handle for twitter show at lorenzo t neal is my personal handle and you can do both. We are very grateful if you are able to do so. And the day has been great. It's starting off great. Um, even though we Hurricane Sally has come on land on the Gulf Coast, uh, it hit Alabama Gulf Coast. It, it diverted away. We were anticipating here in Louisiana and Mississippi for it to come in, and it did not. It it went eastward, so pray for those persons in the pathway of that storm all across uh, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and um, might even go as far as the Carolinas and Virginia. So, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it, it is. I, I hope it doesn't do as much damage as Laura did, but these storms are always unpredictable. And I went home uh, and and viewed some of the damage from Hurricane Laura. Trees just down, and 
you know, I, what I love about our the South is we're resilient more than anything else. We know we're going to get hurricanes around this time of the year, but we always rebuild. And I hope that those persons impacted have the means to be able to rebuild. So, yeah. Anyway, I got a couple of things I really want to talk about. I'm going to talk about Andrew Gillum, and I'm going to talk about this Netflix movie, Cuties. But uh, before I get into that, to, as I perusing the web this this morning, the interwebs, I came across a story from Christian Post that I, I thought was very interesting and um, not really surprising, but interesting. Story says U.S. white U.S. Christians becoming less motivated to address racial injustice. This study comes from the Barner Group. If you're not familiar with the Barner Group, that's a research group. And in the findings that it made public on on Tuesday, Barner reported that 33 percent of white self-identified Christians believe that the United States definitely has a race problem. But the problem is that is down from 40% last year. So 7% of white Christians now uh, no longer believe the U.S. has a race problem. 33% believed it this year. 40% believed it last year. By contrast... 8% of black 81% of self-identified black Christians and is there any surprise here agreed that the nation definitely has a race problem and here's the thing that is up from 75% in 2019 so you have 6% more black folk believe that the US has a race problem this year than last year and then does the same thing with Hispanics and his t- Now, this is the most interesting thing about this whole this whole survey. When they did the, the Hispanics, the Hispanics stayed about the same, 54% from 2020 and 55% in 2019. Uh, I, I mean, I got it backwards. 54% in 2019, 55% in 2020. Only 1%. Of the Hispanics that they interviewed in this research, thought that they have uh, uh, there's a race problem in the United States. Now think about this: thirty-three percent down from forty-five, forty percent. So seven percent of white people, white Christians, in particular have said within themselves, we don't have a race problem in the U.S. Now, the the study goes further and says that uh, in 2019-2020, the number of white self-identified Christians who felt very motivated to address racial injustice dropped from 14% to 10%. White self-identified Christians who were motivated to address racial injustice also 
declined from 18% in 2019 to 15% in 2020 with those not at all motivated. Now listen to this. Those not at all motivated rising from 11% to 22% in 2020. What does that say about white Christians in this moment? According to this research, 22% of white professing Christians are no longer motivated or not at all motivated to address racial injustice. Why is that? Why is that? Why why has that dropped significantly? That's a significant drop. Uh, or rather, a significant increase in, a, in the number of people, white professing Christians, who are no longer motivated or not at all motivated. It jumped from 11% just from in 2019 to 22% in 2020. Why? I beg to say that it's, it's con- most of it is probably from the, the, the mainstream media promoting this over-agitation of police-involved shootings or crimes. With, with black people, black men in particular. And because of this, those white people feel less motivated to get involved, to engage the criminal justice system. Why would they if these people are calling for the abolishment of police? the defunding of police departments, and all other things that are attached to this sense of anarchy that's going along with this movement. Now, now, the Black Lives Global Movement, Black Lives Matter Global Movement, has the distinction now of being the only organization, the only black organization that has transformed literally, literally transformed how uh, Americans engage each other and the overall sense of conformity to an idea. Now think about this. The, The NAACP has been around over 100 years. The Urban League has been around for decades. Cure has been around for uh, a number of years, about a couple of decades. CORE has been around. All these black organizations, and I'm not even talking about the pan-African-centered organizations like the Black Panther Party or anything like that. I'm just talking about these mainstream recognized uh, black organizations that's supposed to be committed to civil rights. All these years, they have not been able to convince Americans or convince uh, sports teams owners or media to focus on black people. But this movement has done so, and not only have they done so, but they have convinced a lot of Americans into believing 
into believing that not only must they support it, that if they don't support it, they are racist. If you're white and you don't support Black Lives Matter, or you're not a full-on with commitment commitment to the idea of injustice, particularly towards black people, black men in particular, then you are a racist. If you are black and you don't buy into it, you don't conform to the ideal, then you are a cool And Uncle Tom, man, I don't mind being called Uncle Tom because I know what Uncle Tom means. You know, I know the character. I read the book. I'm not a coon. <laughs> Uh, but there are plenty of black coons, and I, I, I apologize. I hope I don't get uh, <laughs> uh, demonetized for that. But there are plenty of, of of black persons who pander for white uh, ideals, and there are plenty of white persons, uh, thanks to the book White Fragility, who are now sensing the the guilt of privilege that some never had and some never will but they have this they have this sense of guilt for being white <sighs> so so it it, it it goes up from 11% to 22% in 2020. In contrast, from 2019 to 2020, the number of black self-identified Christians who were very motivated to address racial injustice rose from 33% in 2019 to 46% in 22. Think about that. For black folk, we became generally, I'm speaking generally, we became more motivated to address Racial injustice. Why? Because we've been told it impacts us more than any other uh, ethnic group or race in the country. There's no real way to uh, quantify that. We we well, there is. There's statistics. There are statistics to to show that. But when it comes to particularly police involved shootings, police involved uh, killings. Uh, police involved brutality when it comes to the uh blacks we black men statistically we know we are a minority we know because white men are a majority in this country it happens statistically more to white men than to black men but what makes ours stand out is not the fact for example let's say if there were over 300 police involved uh Shootings in 2020, and I'm just giving out a number. This is not statistical correct, statistically correct. This is just the number I'm giving out. If there were 300, we know that of those 300, 275 of those are more than likely going to be, be uh, non-black. They're more than likely going to be white. Okay? But the 25 that are black would get the attention of national media. There's no reason, uh, you know, I'm not going to say there's no reason I, I re retract that statement. You're seeing riots in Kenosha. You're seeing why uh, Wisconsin riots in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, riots in 
all other smaller areas, Rochester, New York, or Connecticut, what is that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Riots in those areas where the minority, black folk are the minority, statistically, and yet when it comes to police-involved engagements, uh, statistically, they're small. And yet one incident, one, one incident causes, leads to rioting and all of this. Now, contrast that to Ferguson, Missouri, and after the shooting of Michael Brown and all of that that happened with that, when, when the city government was rolled back, we saw consistency in racial profiling, if you want to call it that. But what we saw was a, uh, a consistent, uh, a consistent presence and engagement with police and blacks. So much so, it was you know it was it was very very high statistically, which should not have been. And also, we learned. You know, this was uh, this basically uh, the the city government was complicit in it. They were aware, and the black people were complicit in it because they were aware and did little to nothing to change it. They felt they didn't feel empowered enough to vote and change. And for however however long it took before they got the leadership that they have now. And before they got the change that they have now, following the protests, following the riots, and all of that, think about that. They had opportunities before then, but they, they felt weak. They felt unempowered to do so. And the system raged against them. Okay. What what is this? What does this really say? Okay. The So this is Bonner, Bonner re, they surveyed 1,525 adults online from June 8 to July 6 were oversampling of African Americans, Asians, Hispanic, and the data has a margin of error plus or minus 1.8%, which is pretty good. That's That's pretty good. They found a decline in the belief that the U.S. has race problem among the entire U.S., Adult population with 46 for green in 2020 versus 49 in 2019. Further, the number of U.S. adults in general who responded that they were not at all motivated to address racial injustice grew from 9% last year to 16% this year. Simply put, most white Christians miss and misunderstand the lived experience of black Christians. We've been tracking this gap for years, including the higher degree to which black Christians perceive police brutality, experience the effects of racism, and believe the effects of slavery continue to this day. And that is from um, modern president David Kinnaman. Okay? Now, and what he's saying is very, very true. They have been, along with the Pew Research Group, they've been addressing, they've been trying to put empirical data behind the stuff that everybody knows. Okay? And as a black man, I, I, I have experienced 
negative engagement with police and and not just police but some white persons in particular just negative engagement for no particular reason and it is very true and it's still probably more prominent here in the south than in the north uh, where there's this insensitivity to the idea that blacks are still uh, impacted by injustice from centuries ago. And and while I don't espouse the, the ideas promoted by the, uh, the 1619 Project, I think it's good that students can learn about uh, how uh, slavery impacted and affected the totality of uh, this these United States, both as colonies and as uh, a country, unified country. And I think it's a wonderful thing to know. But the, the, the thing about it is the disconnect that they're trying to bridge, in some ways, it does more harm than help because it's creating this sense of guilt for people who have not experienced any of that. You know, they didn't, they, this generation and this world has changed so much since I was in high school and having gone to a predominantly black elementary school, junior high school, high school, and an HBCU. Uh, my, my interaction with white folks outside of that experience was very limited. Not that I didn't have opportunities. It was just it was just limited. Versus my my friends who went to integrated more integrated high schools. And I, you know, I, I joke with them. I said, you know, y'all y'all like white music and all that stuff, and you know, you do all of this stuff, and I'm like, man, I feel out of touch with you all. Whereas when I was growing up, <laughs> even though I was around the blacks. And, you know, influence, black influence and music and all that. I was a nerd. <laughs> what does that have to do with this? Really doesn't. I just, I was just going, wandering down memory lane. But, uh, <laughs> but the fact that there are still a large poc- uh, segment of white population who do not want to believe that the effects of slavery continue through this day, it does. And we know that, particularly regarding the criminal justice system, that really in the South, the criminal justice system was in part designed to maintain that sense of control over black slaves, black male slaves in particular. We know uh, that there were a lot of state constitutions that wrote it, states that wrote it into their constitutions. So while it was no longer legal, they found ways to, <laughs> to manipulate the system. And unfortunately, that has affected black men generation, generationally, even to this day. And we may not want to believe it, but it is what it is. And the good thing is we can do something about it. We have the means of changing it. And we can do it. And we will do it. Uh, radio.
All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back from the break, we're going to talk about Andrew Gillum and uh, this Cuties show. So be right back right after this. I'm Dr. Lorenzo O'Neill, and I speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education, leadership, and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look to the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. Hello and welcome back to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal. And uh, thank you again for joining us. If you have not done so, I want to invite you to go to the Zeron Network on Facebook. Go there, like that page, listen to archived shows. Be sure to uh, leave comments if you hear anything that interests you. Also, follow us on all our social media. At, on Twitter, we are at Zero Radio. That's the show handle, at Lorenzo T. Neal, my personal handle. Visit my website, LorenzoTNeal.com, and make sure you browse through the articles we have there. Listen to the other podcasts that we just started. Be your differentiated self, and be so kind and purchase a copy of my book, a couple of my books that are there. Be so kind and do so, and if you like to support us and support the show, go to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal and become a patron 
for as little as a dollar a month. Thank you guys so much. So let's get into the rest of this segment as we move into uh, the, the next phase. <laughs> I lost tra- track of what I was going to say, and I'm looking at the screen, and I'm looking at my notes, and I'm like, okay, well, where, where, where am I? Anyway, so um, on Monday, Ms. Tamron Hall, who I think is a wonderful individual, I love her spirit and her demeanor, her show, Tamron Hall, airs weekdays, and it just, I guess it's the season premiere, and the first show of this new season, her guest as uh, Andrew and R.J. Uh, Gillum. Uh, I think that's her name, Jay or Jai. I want to say Jay. But uh, Andrew Gillum is the former mayor of Jacksonville, Florida. He was also the former gubernatorial candidate for the state of Florida, and he lost the election. And it was it wasn't a crushing loss, but it was a loss. He he did very well. And what I what I disliked most about that campaign, along with that of um, what's the young lady in, in Georgia? Y'all know who I'm talking about. Um, she ran for governor in Georgia, and they tried to play both of them as socialists, and they're not socialists. <laughs> they're far from socialists because they're Democrats. The the attacks that went out against them portrayed them as socialists, and you know it worked against them. Uh, in the, to a degree, it worked against him. But anyway, earlier this year, Mr. Gillum was found inebriated in a hotel room um, by two officers along with two other gentlemen. And it was later discovered that one of the gentlemen was a male escort who had had relations, I guess, with Mr. Gillum. And Mr. Gillum in the, initially denied the uh, the encounter and the state just stated that he was having a good too good of a time at a wedding or some event down in Miami but it was later discovered that not only was he having too good of a time but he was having way too good of a time and that brought some public shame to him and his family uh and some thought it may have ended his political career so fast forward until Monday when the show aired and Tamron Hall interviews both his wife and himself. And I was trying to get the clips, uh, short clips of both of those, and I was unable to upload them in time. But when it came to uh, the wife asking if she would remain married to him with the recent uh well hold on let me let me rewind that and me backtrack so Andrew Gillum comes out and says, "You know you didn't ask the question, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you because I know it's going to be asked uh, He said, "I don't identify as homosexual, I identify as bisexual and he went on further to say that 
he he had no other reason, you know, it's no longer has a reason to conceal it because what he had already been through and what had been exposed. So there was no need to conceal the fact that he uh, identified in his capacity. And the the question was posed to his wife, uh, could they, could she remain married to him in spite of what she now knows? But of course, she knew all the time. In her words during the interview, she said uh, she probably would have still married him. I think it's correct. Um, if he had been a bit more forward with it. But you know, I know black women. <laughs> black women can sense it. And black women will go along with it if they believe it's going to be better for them. Think about the late Bishop Eddie Long, and after the revelations came out regarding him and his inappropriate relationships with those young men, initially his wife was going to leave him, but she didn't. She stood by her man till his death. Um, and there, we don't know the motivations for that, but we know initially she 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 was going to leave him. And it could have been partially because of the hurt, the public embarrassment, but it also could have been the guilt of her knowing his ways. You know, so and I commend black women for, for their staying power. You know, a lot of black women, especially generations ago, not too far back, were told once you get a man, you do everything you can to keep that man. And then the, the, what will usually follow is a man will be a man. So if a man's cheating on you, but he's providing for you, you stay with that man. If a man is hitting on you, but he's taking care of you and your family, you stay with that man. And and there were some who had families all over the city. <laughs> A number of outside children, but the wife was faithful. I know this in my own family. You know, I can attest to this in my own family. Wife was faithful till death. And for the most part, that is how black women, and in, in many cases, most women are. They're conditioned to be that way. But him coming out, uh, Mr. Gillum coming out as bisexual, and saying that he does not identify as homosexual, you know, it, it's a little confusing to me. I, I, I still wrestle with this LGBTQ uh, stuff. I, I really do. I, I understand and I work, and I guess you could say I'm an ally in sorts to this community uh, because I advocate when it comes to uh, civil discrimination. You know, I advocate on their behalf. No one should be discriminated against because of their race, because of their color, their gender, or identity, sexual identity. That that's plain and simple. I just believe that we're all humans. So, <laughs> when it comes to that particular way, now when it comes to scripture, because of where I am and who I am and what I understand, scripture to say, that's that's how I approach it. And that's where I stand on it, you know. I know that I, love, I know a whole lot of people who identify as part of the uh, LGBTQ LGBTQ plus community. 
and uh, you still have to love them. You have to love them for who they are, and not so much for what they identify. But anyway, it's confusing because you you wonder what does it mean? You're bisexual, but you're not homosexual. And there, I've talked to several other individuals about this, and a lot of black females <laughs> that I I spoke with, and there's not a lot. Is a well, let me say not a lot, but some of the black females that I spoke with said that if man is switch hitting, then he is a switch hitter. Doesn't matter if he's top or bottom. You know, he he's that's that's him. And so. It's this idea of black masculinity. We're longing for the return of authentic black masculinity. You know, we want to go back to the seventies and where we saw strong black characters like Shaft breaking down or Superfly. You know, even though Superfly was a dope dealer, <laughs> we we want we. We got this imagery of what black men should be like, or the black fathers like uh, James Evans in Good Times. No nonsense, very strong black man. And and we look in today, and we don't see that. We don't see a lot of that because it's 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 being called toxic. Yet. We want that. We want it in our political leaders. That's why so many people admire Trump. He gives out this tough guy, no-nonsense guy thing. That's why a lot of people admire him, and they overlook all the other stuff, all the other immoral things that he he says, the pettiness that he possesses because he comes across as tough, this, this strong masculine figure, right? And so in black America… That's what we look for in our leaders. We want this sense of black righteous masculinity. And to go far in black politics, that's that's the only way you can do it. You have to present that image. No black man would be elected to a political office if he came out as same sex attractive it's just not happening we collectively generally black folk we we're still very much uh conservative socially and in that particular aspect we don't want that and i'm not speaking for all but i'm just speaking in generality in general we don't want our black men to be feminine or come across it that way. We we don't want it, and we wouldn't support him. Question now is, what is it going to look like for Andrew Gillum? I think he still has a political future ahead because, again, as the country becomes more progressive and uh, a little more center-left, because that's where the country seems to be going, some by choice and some ways by force. Uh, we're, we're adapting to uh, change, uh, and maybe within the next five, I, I say five years. Now I'm not talking about ten or twenty. I'm talking within the next five years, he'd be able to run again and hold office and still identify. However, he identifies. Probably, be able to, you know, you probably can say he'll he identifies fully 
same-sex attract. I don't know. And I guarantee you his wife might still be by his side. His children will be raised knowing that their father is a strong black man who just happens to be attracted to men. And they'll grow up thinking that's okay and will think nothing of it as they age and see others like their father in leadership roles. So, ah, my goodness. Just thinking about that, you know, really, really to know. Honestly, that's that's the way we're going to be within the next five to eight years. I'm not saying five to 10 or 20 years. This is moving very rapidly. So <laughs> that's why I put out that number. But anyway, but we still wish much success to him and his family uh, and any uh, any aspirations he may have in the future. Because, again, he's still young enough to go far in whatever he desires to do. He's still He hasn't reached the pinnacle yet. And we're in this age now where even though that scandal has hit him, hit him, it won't hurt him. We have short-term selective memory in the United States now. By this time next year, it'll be all but forgotten. <laughs> you know, won't be completely forgotten. Somebody will bring it up. <laughs> anyway, so let's move on to this this last thing, and that's the show Cuties. The movie Cuties on Netflix. Um, I did watch that movie, and I don't know what to say. <laughs> so the initial controversy with this movie Cuties is it it is a Movie made by a Senegalese woman. I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name, uh, but it won at several film festivals or one film festival. I, I think it won. Uh, but anyway, uh, it tells the story of a young woman, a young girl, not woman, Lord, a young girl. I think her name is Amy, and she moves from Senegal to somewhere in France, I want to say it's Paris, but they move into a housing project there and in that area, and they're Muslim, and they're with the other community members from that area, uh, from Senegal, so part of the community there. They they make that adjustment to the community, and there's one character in the movie named, that's Auntie, and if you don't know, uh, across the spectrum of the continent of Africa, Auntie is just a a, a, a a term of honor to any grown woman. For my family, uh, anyone, whether they are my auntie or not, because my stepmother is from Cameroon, anyone from that country in Cameroon is my auntie. Any woman is my auntie. Any man is my uncle. They're not related to us biologically, but that's just that sense. And that's across the continent of Africa. That's how they use that, that term. It's a term of endearment. And Auntie is a very strict character. She <laughs> she she says in the movie, said, I've raised a lot of children and none of them are as bad as you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. I had a whole lot of aunties growing up. 
Yeah, whole lot. And uncles. My village was very wa- uh, very large, and I'm grateful. But anyway, this, this young one, this girl, she's 11 years old, moves in, and she's, uh, she learns that her father, who is still in Senegal, will be returning because he has married a second woman, second wife, and he's bringing a second wife into the home. The mother's upset. But anyway, she's, she's adapting to this new world she's in. She sees this group of young girls. They call themselves the cuties. They're a dance troupe, but they're also kind of bullies. They're, they're kind of bullies because the first interaction with the young girl, uh, they they bully her, literally. But anyway, so she gets involved with this group, and she starts dancing, and there are scenes where she see, you see her practicing. Um, and she's practicing, and then she, I guess becomes somewhat of a de facto leader in the group. They uh they go out, they dance, they practice, they audition for this big show. And while she's in actually doing the show, she has a come to Jesus moment, I like to call it, where she realizes this is not who she wants to be. She doesn't want to do what she's doing. She wants to be a a, a regular Senegalese woman. And the movie ends with her returning to her mother and, I guess, falling back in line. <laughs> but there are certain scenes in there that I just thought was um, very, very harmful when it comes to children. There's one scene where she's being harassed by well, – she, she has some guy's phone, and she takes a picture of a place that she should not be taking it. In the phone, and the picture gets spread, and she goes to school the next day, and one of the white kids, white boys in her class, smacks her on the behind, and she gets mad at it, and he calls her a whore. And and she stabs him, and all of this breaks out, but the team gets mad at her. Her friends, the dance team, get mad at her because they say, look, what you did, what you did, you... You you posted this picture and they think everybody, all of us, are the same like you. You know, you posted this inappropriate picture and now they think all of us are whores like you, and it backfires on her. Um, and there are other scenes where they they sexualize the, the girl. You know, she's putting on lipstick and she's doing this pose. She takes a, a Instagram a picture for Instagram or whatever it is over there, and you know. Post it and it it looks intentionally seductive. So the the intent of the writer of this movie was to address uh, the the wrestling that these uh, Africans have when trying to integrate into new communities and um, the, the world that they know and the world that they are living in, and it uses children to do so, and it's really really bad the intent is well but the delivery is bad you know it it really really is a very 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 thin line now for disclosure i was a band director for a number of years and uh the last couple of bands that i directed we were an hbcu style band that means we danced we played you know, we 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 put on a good show. We were high 
high step band. All right. And our dance team, well, they emulated what they saw. And we were, uh, the fluence was either Grambling, Southern University, or my alma mater, Arkansas Pine Bluff. And those those dance teams, you know, they they, they do it. They come for it. The dancing dolls and the prancing jet sets of the Sonic Boone of the South Jackson State and dancing dolls and golden girls, all of them from the very university. <laughs> you know, uh, they they that's what they do. And my dance teams, they emulated those. And there are a few times I had to intervene. And I was like, look, <laughs> y'all, y'all can't do all of that. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't do twerking or anything like that on the field. But some of the movements and, and even some of the songs that I was arranging, I was like, look, man, I, I, I know y'all want to play this, but I don't really want to arrange it. But I know it's popular. It's going to get the crowd engaged. And, you know, that's what it's all about. Want to keep the crowd happy when the football team sucks. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> but anyway, so as band director, I, I I saw this line told between young girls, you know, teenagers, 14 to 17, doing these dance moves, and me being not just a band director, but also a pastor. And trying to, you know, I ain't the mama and the daddy, but I am the band director. And I had to tell them, you know, the sponsors of the, look, let's just, we don't want to tone it down. Because, you know, but we got to introduce this in a way that, you know, won't over-sexualize the girls. And there was sometimes the uniforms they wore, I was like, are y'all really wearing that? How you let them wear that? But, hey. You know, I'm just a band director. But anyway, uh, a lot of those girls went on, have gone on to, to dance professionally and all of that. And they choreograph. And here we have, here in the Jackson metro area, a very popular dance studio. And um, one of, uh, one had a television show. Um. That was got pretty popular, and those girls perform the same way, and they do dance battles and all of that. And you know, when the guys are looking at that, they're not looking at the artistic side of it. They're looking at how the girls dress, and they're looking at how the girls move. And their mind is sexualizing the girls. There's just no way around that. They're sexualizing it. They're thinking if the girls could do splits, if the girls could, you know, thrust like they're thrusting. And the dance move, then that means they're probably able to do the same way uh, in the bedroom. And it's sad that men think that, but as again, we're talking about hypersexualization of black women. You think about the, what was a few weeks ago? What was the number one hip hop song? It was by two women, two female rappers, Meg The Stallion and Cardi B, and was titled WAP. And it stood for a very specific thing, and it was popular. It still is popular. And there, I've even seen memes and heard other artists make uh, <laughs> covers of it. But that was a sexual, intentionally sexualized song. And you have young girls listening to this, and this is how they're beginning to identify. And with little to no male influence, positive male influence, 
or positive female influence for that matter, what they're doing is saying this is what it takes for me to uh, not only get the attention because that's what the young girl wanted. She wanted attention. She needed this. She wanted a distraction from what she was experiencing in her world. And there are many women, uh, girls like that today, who are very similar. And they use this identity. Uh, they use this this portrayal of successful black women. And uh, they say, this is what I got to do. And I ain't going to lie to you. As a man, I'm, I'm not going to turn away from that. <laughs> I know some of y'all probably get mad at me for saying that, but no. Uh, yo, you, know, you just got to guard your eyes. Make sure you, you watch what you see. Because it ain't always good. But anyway, the whole of the matter is, Netflix has suffered because of this. And it's not just because of the movie. It's because of the imagery portrayed by the movie. You have a movie where a little girl snaps an inappropriate picture, posts it uh, for attention, and it backfires on her. And we have cases, and when I was in the ministry, when I was teaching, we had cases of doing that, you know, and boys getting those pictures and counts as pornography. And they could literally, and there were a couple of young men who were charged, <laughs> charged with with cases like that, you know, child pornography, because they received inappropriate pictures from their girlfriend who happened to be 13 or 14, and they maybe be 15 or 16. Yeah. Sad, sad, sad reality. Netflix is, has suffered loss. There's a call to boycott Netflix, and I don't think people are going to boycott Netflix. Just don't watch that show. You know, you don't have to watch it. There, there's a plethora of YouTube videos out there about it. Again, you you can go there and just type in cuties and not the oranges, <laughs> but the movie, and you can see all the controversy. But the reality is, is our world is hypersexualized. We can't get around it. We're normalizing things that just 10 or 15 years ago would not have been normalized. And uh, we got a long way to go. But anyway, that's it for me. I'm going to head out for the day. Now, again, um, thank you for your support. If you have not done so, go to patreon.com. Patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal and sign up to become a patron, support the show, visit all on all our social media. And uh, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, just go to Dr. Lorenzo Neal on YouTube and you should see uh, videos that we uh, posted. Follow us and support us. Like, subscribe, all that stuff. And we appreciate all your support. And we do hope to keep this going. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God and to the edification of your brothers and sisters. May you live long and healthy. And having said all that, I'm going to be out. God bless you. Till next time, this is Dr. Lorenzo Neal. I'm out.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 